0: Welcome back to season two of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast about entrepreneurship-led economic development produced by Economic Impact Catalyst, where we work with economic development organizations across the country in our mission to activate a world where access to entrepreneurship is equitable and inclusive. I'm Jackie Dietrich, the show's director, here to introduce this episode number 31, in which you'll be hearing remarks from two panels we hosted recently, with discussion focused on how to recognize the impact of entrepreneurship in our economy. The conversation spans why small business is often ignored in economic development, how to better tell stories using data, and what levers seem to be most useful in accelerating entrepreneurship and small business creation in our communities. This was recorded as a webinar, and you'll find a link to the full video recording for both the panel discussions in the show notes. You'll be hearing the voices of our special guests, including Suzanne Perot of the Michigan Economic Development Corporation, and Strickland of the National Association for Community College Entrepreneurship. Eric Weissman of NEXT in Greenville, South Carolina, Kim Lane of Right to Start, Gary Clark of Economic Alliance, Nahomish County, David Ponraj, this show's host, uh, and the CEO of Economic Impact Catalyst, and myself asking the questions. Please enjoy this week's episode. Back to this idea of um, no wrong doors is also directly connected to the conversation that we often have about breaking down barriers. And we find that practitioners still wrestle with what are what is how do we articulate that these barriers exist and explain to people who aren't practitioners why they should care about this work to break down barriers. And often that just starts with explaining what are the barriers. and to continue to evolve and how we talk about that with people who aren't in this work, who or who aren't facing those barriers on a day-to-day basis, whether you're the entrepreneur or the service provider. So I'll go back to you, Anne, because I think in the community college system, the very nature of how community colleges operate is to break down barriers and to democratize access to education broadly, and now in entrepreneurship too. How, how would you describe the entrepreneurs community colleges serve and the barriers that community colleges can help to break down in this realm of entrepreneurship?
1: So I think there are are two things. I think the the barriers we see are not always are not always access. It's not always um, you know, that they don't have the time, talent, or treasure. Sometimes that there are other obstacles. We had a, a really unique opportunity to present a congressional hearing where um, one of our our leading presidents stated that it's not for the lack of ability that she sees her students challenged, um, in an educational session. It's it's for the life things that intervene. It's for, you know, folks who are single parents or who have family responsibilities or who need to work full time and go to school. And so the community college is is agilely positioned to to, to help mitigate a lot of those challenges that you might see in other traditional learning scenarios. And so being able to be fluid and flexible um, is a very entrepreneurial way of operating, right? And so instilling those, those goals and those values for people and just giving them the opportunity Um, and helping them find the pathways that work for them are one of the things that I think we're highly skilled at. Um, In terms of, you know, other barriers, I think, you know, I've come from a communications background far, far before I came to to nonprofit leadership. And so for me, it's always about the storytelling. And I think, you know, for us to help people understand those barriers, we have to seek and tell the stories that matter. Um, It can be very, very simple, simple things like, starting an entrepreneur by giving them the tools they need. It doesn't need to be a $10,000 investment or maybe a three-year program. It might just need to be $1,000. And so finding those opportunities and sharing um, how those little acts of of support um, and community empathy and and all of the things that we can do when we come together as a network um, can really make a big difference in the way our communities are are recovering and rebuilding um, and reshaping their futures. And so I think you know, getting the opportunity in a community college to actually meet people where they are and to, to unite so many different levels of learners and stages of life in one place. It gives us a, a unique opportunity to collect um, robust stories and for them to learn from one another generationally.
0: And Suzanne, when we're thinking about um, a state like Michigan, certainly you're representing rural communities what do economic developers need to know about how to gentle that journey for entrepreneurs that that have so much potential in our rural communities?
2: Um, well, I think, I I guess on this one, I really was thinking more about some of the technology barriers in our rural communities, especially. One of the things that um, in the last year, the MEDC had propped up over 25 COVID relief programs and as many of them were direct to small businesses across the whole state, one of the things that we quickly learned is how folks were accessing our programs, most on their phones. And so, you know, in areas of their state where there is not good broadband coverage, especially rural areas, That is one challenge that we need to make sure we're addressing and then kind of building on some of the work. I know David um, has worked in Southeast Michigan with the new economies initiative and kind of understanding what some of the major challenges are for small business. The digital divide is, is really part of that. So that encompasses not only urban communities, but rural communities, access to technology understanding how to use technology to find the resources, and then the broadband issue. Again, have to end with optimism because we are having some very significant investment um, into the broadband infrastructure in Michigan with the American Rescue Plan. I'm sure many states are pursuing that across the country and that is just gonna be so needed and I I hope does bridge some of the gap um, that we're seeing for our rural small business owners.
0: One of the things we love most about this network is that the people who come here, come here because they want to talk about action and how do we take action? And I wanna turn this over to you, Eric, because a few years back when I was trying to figure out how to make my entrepreneurial ecosystem in my role more inclusive of of our black and brown women, indigenous people that were in our community that were really on the sidelines at that time, uh, I, I visited Cincinnati and Black-led organizations that we were in a a shared leadership program together. And I I wanted to learn about their program and what they were doing to bring wealth creation and business ownership to the Black community in Cincinnati. And do you know what they said? They said, if you want to get to know Cincinnati, you have to meet with Eric Weissman. (laughs) And I said, wait, (laughs) he's a white guy. What do white guys know about creating inclusive communities? No, for real. They, they um, They really felt that your work was instrumental because of the ecosystem building role and how those trusted connections that you described earlier, right? Of how do you show people that I care about what you care about, yeah. and that we share in that together? So, can you talk to us more about sure. the action to take to make inclusive communities?
3: Yeah, thank you for that. Um, uh, you know. It's my version. I call it my version of the Hippocratic Oath, right? First, do no harm. I, I, I need to prove that I'm here for good. I'm trying to help. I want to be part of the solution. I'm not trying to, when, when Centrifuge came onto the scene, you know, we, we moved a lot of people's cheese. There, there were things that people were doing and, and now we're coming on board and what are you here to, I had to prove that, that we're here to move the entire ecosystem system forward so to be inclusive and to be intentionally inclusive and I think that's the that's the key word is to be intentional um so with groups like mortar who I'm I'm assuming that's who you're referencing uh national scope right they're they're doing things even here in Greenville that you know like oh you're from Cincinnati do you know boom 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 and I'm like of course that you know so it's neat to see that that go out from uh you know from one just the 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 center of the tree trunk to, to reach out. But um, to me, it's that Hippocratic Oath. It's allowing everybody to stay in their swim lanes to say, do you keep doing what you're doing? And, but once a month is what we started in Cincinnati. And it started really small, um, like three people. And it eventually got up to 25 people, which isn't great. You know, it's not, it's not huge, but, but still you start with three different organizations and say, can we just get together on a monthly basis and talk, and, 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 and that's it. Um, you know, we, we did eventually have a, a, a little bit of a, of a program, of an agenda just to compartmentalize some of the conversations, but eventually, and even through COVID as we did it virtually, this was that that stable connectivity that everybody got to expect and to be able to say, this is my time to share what I'm doing and to also to listen to what else is going on. Now we would eventually convert that, that was more of a activity-based and then we eventually would convert that into a separate meeting. Uh, we call it the cone of silence meeting, but, but we talked about the, the, the startups and the small businesses that were really uh, doing great things, and we shared our portfolios, our top 30. Look of our you know, matrixed view of of who's doing great things, and then we we specifically spoke about the top five. So everybody shared their top five and was up on a big board, and, and um, you know it was a um, a private meeting. It wasn't confidential. You know you shouldn't share anything that that you know shouldn't be too widely spread. But it was that that uh, degree of trust and that took 8 years for us to build that up so this is not an overnight thing you know just like entrepreneurship you can't just go down to the farmers market and buy you know magic beans and become an entrepreneur the next day the same thing with ecosystem building this doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen by just following a recipe you know if 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 there's you know if, if opening a restaurant were as simple as buying a cookbook and <laughs> and and following the recipe everybody'd be you know a master chef but but with this ecosystem building there there's a number of things that that um uh, that takes some time. And so trust is a big thing and proving that's why I go back to that Hippocratic oath. I had to stay true to my integrity, um, and, and let, let those folks know that you keep being the best seed state investor that you can be. You keep being the best SBDC that you can be. You keep being the best incubator. I'm not asking you to do anything more. I'll, I'll, I'll bear this. And that's what Centrifuge took on. And that's what next is taking on. And I'll, uh, but we all got to come together because we're all going to win when, uh, uh, we're all going to win when we all win.
0: This has been such a fast-moving conversation, and I would love to start um, with you, Anne, on the next question and then hear from each of our panelists. And this is our question at hand. It still remains, despite all the time we spend at conferences, summits, retreats, coffee meetings, maybe a beer or two, we still have to find out the best avenue to recognizing the impact of entrepreneurship in local communities. Why is it challenging? How do we talk about the ROI and whether the investment in small business and ecosystem creation justifies the uh, the investment? And so, Anne, we'll start with you, the communications expert.
1: It's a big question, um, and so I think there's we can do a lot of things when we look at metrics, right? We can look at business bottom lines, we can look at jobs created, we can look at all of those sort of benchmarks of success, but. A lot of times when I look at other systems, what I think we're missing is what change has been affected. And so if you, you know, you're looking at small business and community and you're looking at small business metrics, sometimes you're just looking at the small business. And so I think doing more of looking at ecosystem growth and you know, growth in specific regions or needs and skills gaps that we need to be planning and anticipating, I think that's where I see um, there to be a big opportunity. Um, and how we look at metrics and how we sort of tweak our perspective of that data and move away from just those business-driven benchmarks and more into community and change building effect. Um, I think in terms of is the ROI there 100 percent. I think you know we've proven with the EVF that the mentorship and community is why we're successful. That's the program we intend to continue. It's a program we're growing nationally in the next year Um, And it it really, I think, is successful because of that mentoring and ecosystem component. I think we could write checks to people and get them started and off the ground, but when you walk away from them or you leave them in a scenario where they're sort of figuring out what they do on their own and leveraging resources that they may hear about, they may not. Somebody may refer them to a really great SBDC. Some some may not have any idea that that exists for them. And so increasing that communication in those pathways and continuing to wrap people into services is something that we're really passionate about. And we feel like a lot of our community college work is centered around making those connections for people. And so really building that out, I think, is going to be critical to the future.
0: And Eric, you've been involved in this development of what it means to be an ecosystem builder from what would most would argue is the very beginning. What what has evolved in your eyes around how we talk about why entrepreneurship is important and why this work matters?
3: You know, I, I think that when, when I started at centrifuge and my background isn't in I'm not, I'm not a startup guy. I wasn't a startup guy I wasn't even an economic development guy, I was you a marketing a
0: guy? you're a corporate
3: yeah. guy. Yeah, I worked for the Dark Walt Disney guy. company for a couple of years and Disney Cruise Line marketing worked at Fifth Third Bank and, and, um, but, uh, you know, what appealed to me about the opportunity was the impact that we were going to have on our community the lasting impact we were going to have on our community. Um, And when I started, when Centrifuge started, I felt very alone. I felt there was no one in Cincinnati who understand what we were doing. Mortar was starting at the same time that that Centrifuge, which is another reason why I think we're kindred spirits and we were coming up at the same time and they were focusing on their thing and I was focusing on my thing, but we were doing new and great things together. but it wasn't until I got exposed to uh, the rise of the rest on uh, the Steve case initiative through his you know, fund revolution um, that I learned that there were people in other cities that were doing the same thing. Like, wow, you're focusing on this. And, and I remember the very first they had a, um, uh, you know, a symposium or a conference where they got all of us together the cities that they had been to. This is a number of years ago. And, um, and you know, we were all sitting at the tables and there were no icebreakers needed. Like, you know, we we're all like, oh, you're at 1871. I know this and what the, and so, you know, here at the time, you know, Steve Case gets on the stage and, and you know, nobody shut up. <laughs> you know, it was, it was tough for, for everybody to just quiet down because we were so excited to, uh, to talk to each other. And so those networks are powerful, right? And now the Kauffman Foundation through their eShip initiative that's, you know, led by Andy Stoll, I want to give him a lot of credit for, uh, for, for fostering that movement through the Startup Champions Network, et cetera. But it was at one of those first eShip summits that Andy kind of asked the question of why isn't an why isn't ecosystem building a practice, a profession? Why isn't it something that can be taught? Why isn't it a major you know, sports management is a major, uh, urban planning is civil engineering with a couple things slapped on, you know, why, why not ecosystem building? So I took that as a challenge and, and, and was very inspired and called my friends, like, it, it, either at the next break or that, it was hours later uh, at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, and said, um, I want to teach a class on ecosystem building. And uh, they bit. Uh, It took a couple years to get it into flight, but uh, this semester they're wrapping up the sixth semester of this class and it's been um, a lot of fun and a lot of exposure to jobs to career paths. To 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 you don't have to study entrepreneurship and then be an entrepreneur. What if I don't want to? What if I don't have that idea that's going to be? You know, what if I don't want to take that risk? But what if I really like that agile, uh, um, you know, flexible, fluid, creative environment? That you know, I'm not excited to to um, to work for the same company for the next thirty years of my life. You know, what what am I learning through this? So anyway, I think that ecosystem building and and through this position at Next and and other folks that I've, that I've met along the way, it is a profession. It is something that we can specialize in and it is something that's gonna have uh, best practices and uh, it has to be data-driven. It, it, it has to be, um, the, the, we're not gonna get any funding if it's not data-driven, we're not gonna have results if you know, that which gets measured gets done. You know, we, we, we have to look at those things. Now, the, the challenge is they don't move quickly, right? The, the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago but but the second best time is today right we've got to make these impacts now and we've got to measure that if i want to start training for a marathon i'm not going to go run 26 miles tomorrow you know i'm going to run slowly and surely and then eventually build up um so anyway it's exciting to uh, to be a part of that 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 wave and um i see the momentum and, and i look forward to keeping it moving
0: David, thoughts from you on this infrastructure, ROI question, how do we bring it all together about storytelling uh, for why infrastructure for small businesses matters, and what does it mean for an economic developer to have intelligence about their small business community?
4: And I first say that we all agree as a fact to write three playbooks out of this, I mean, I love the work Macy is doing. I love the work MEDC is doing. And we're just getting started on the work with MEDC in connecting the state. Uh, and then of course, looking forward to uh, what Eric is building uh, in Greenville. And I feel like these are uh, these are blueprints that, that can be followed. You don't have to go recreate the wheel. I mean, the EVF and the success rate of the EVF entrepreneurs is mind blowing. Literally, it, we should just make that into a national program, which Macy is already doing and get schools replicated, provide capital, uh, make it mandatory to to go through credit courses, have mentors as part of the network, and the outcomes are like 80% success rate. Like it's it's mind blowing, right? Uh, With MEDC, I mean, uh, uh, we get to see this in, you know, 80, 100 different communities across the US, but we love the way MEDC is going about uh, thinking about people first versus technology first and building those real relationships. Uh, Suzanne and team investing actually in uh, building partners in each of the regions, understanding what they care about. Uh, because when we think about impact, I think there are these kind of umbrella rules, like you know, we're looking at wealth creation, equitable access, et cetera. But every community cares about different things. Think about, for example, losing a corner bar actually reduces the social capital of a community because that's the watering hole. The real economic ROI might not be very significant, but now there isn't a place for the community to come together. And the social ROI is way worse than the economic ROI for that little watering hole in that community. So impact is measured very differently if you think about thought leadership, uh, you know, the need for a community of practice, or if you think about uh, ecosystem building and the need for density of resources you think about family foundations and they work around you know helping with child care and affordable housing and all the other things all of these things together help create the ecosystem and so there are going to be different measures of how we do this uh, ultimately you know when we start working with, with clients we first ask them what do you care most about what do your communities most care about and let's go tell those stories and let's go measure those impacts I think that's what it boils down to uh, while we still make sure that we don't create these silos and we're not just representing one community that we're bringing it all together and we're focusing on uh, what we wanted long-term. I think a lot of these are focused on how do we move these small social problems forward.
0: All right. We've got to get to this question that we brought all these economic developers and our audience here today to talk about, which is, why is recognizing the impact of entrepreneurship in our local economies? So challenging. Gary, do you have an answer for us?
5: It's challenging because we have allowed ourselves to to listen to noise from other spectrums, right? Uh, Other things have been the shiny uh, new object that we focused on. Um, If you think of uh, where we live in Snohomish County area, it's uh, uh, Microsoft has been heavy in this region, right? Uh, We think of uh, Costco, we think of uh, Amazon, and we think of all of these other industries, Boeing. And I think when you have these major companies, which have benefited us tremendously, we forget about the start. We forget about um, the idea and concept that actually blows up uh, in a community. And we say, man, remember when Starbucks was just a small little little space. Um, I, I think we also forget that we're all coming from a place of struggle and we forget that that is tied to our business story and how to tell that story and how to make sure that we navigate it. I'll tell you really quick, quickly, Jackie, we have in our organization, Economic Alliance in the County, we have a PTAC, which is the uh, Procurement Technical Assistance uh, Counselors piece. We also have what we call SBTRC, uh, which is tied to Department of Transportation, Uh, These are organizations that are to engage specifically uh, BIPOC community uh, across the board, not simply in urban places, but in rural places. I think when we talk about amplification, our leadership, we have to be very much uniform in how we address our legislative leaders, our federal leaders. And I I don't think we have. I think we've broken up uh, some of the compartments of the things and services that we need. And that has made it really hard for us to actually have leverage to push one major uh, initiative forward. And I think we have a lot of money going around today. We have a lot of noise about who wants to take this money left and right. And because we don't have that synergy and uh, regional perspective on a rural or urban space, I think we're gonna lose a little bit of that leverage and I don't even think we have a, the best practice system for surveying entrepreneurs. And in, until we have their voice, the people who have failed, the people who are afraid to even go talk to a David because, hey, a big business idea seems like a dream, but they don't realize if they engage David, if they engage you, if they engage Kim, that actually all of those fears fall down. And now you've created a system for flowing forward. How do we move that message to the policymakers in D.C.? How do we move that small message to say, let's break down this barrier of communication so that data can push your idea and your concept to the Starbucks level?
0: And Kim, what's your perspective on that in terms of you know, the reason that entrepreneurship doesn't get more attention from economic development or from policymakers, say more about that.
6: I I think you know, as sort of what Gary was saying earlier, is our system favors established businesses, and there, you know, I think it it seems that okay, well, there's less of a risk. This is an established business; they've been around for so long. Even though, like I said earlier, we know that new jobs come from new businesses. So I think you know. I, I really think some of it's just getting the word out about this research. Like it's, it is a paradigm shift for people. Like it's not about recruiting big, big business to come into, um, you know, cities across America. It's about investing in talent locally and spurring innovation and job growth locally, which can have a huge impact. It can have a material change on the community. And I think, you know, also we know, like we've been in a multi-decade decline in entrepreneurial activity. And I think there's actually a bit of a risk here, which is we've actually seen more startup activity in the past year um, due to the pandemic. And we know, uh, with research from Kaufman, that 30% of new entrepreneurs last year were actually unemployed. So they weren't starting because you know they had this great idea necessarily. It was because of. Out of necessity like they had to start a business and so when you look at the data at a high level it's like oh we were in a startup slump it's over now but that's not the case because we know all these barriers are still in existence like the barriers have not changed it was just people's you know people were out of desperation starting a business so i think it's really important to just keep you know part of what part of what right to start does is we say that we change change minds and we help tell the stories of entrepreneurs because if you're not hearing these stories and hearing the actual challenges entrepreneurs face, it's very hard to understand what that is. And I think someone mentioned Shark Tank earlier, like if that's the only story that you're seeing or understanding, it can feel, it doesn't feel necessarily relatable to a lot of people. But when you look at it as like, no, this is like your neighbor next door starting something. And these are challenges that we're all facing. It's very relatable challenges. It's like, I can't get a bank loan because of, you know, these archaic um, principles. So it's like, how do we make sure that we are boiling it down to an understandable um, piece of information that everyone can sort of like move forward with and advocate for on behalf of entrepreneurs? But I do think it's important. Like I think, like we said earlier, these are the the data is there. We know We know how to fix this problem. It's just a matter of making sure the decision makers know this as well, because if they don't know it, then how can they fix it?
0: And David, I know I know from hearing everything that Kim and Gary have said, that oftentimes you're on the front lines of this question with economic developers that call us talk, wanting to talk about their small business community and the, the data problem, the data question, the, the ROI question. Can you talk a little bit about like how are communities thinking about that ROI question in terms of, is what we put into developing a small business community and the ecosystem idea, does it do the means justify the investment? What does that conversation look like for you these days?
4: Yeah, I'll say first thing, I think we all get have to become great storytellers. Mm-hmm. Gary, we might need to set up some time with you and just start learning how to maybe do it in prose form or poem form, whatever it is, we've got to become great storytellers. I think we're leaving way too much on the table in terms of the impact these businesses have on these rural communities that we're not telling the story. Also, I think... Uh, there is so much going on in rural that I think rural economic developers now need help. I was talking to somebody in in, a, in Alabama in a rural community where I think this is a story that's across the country where uh, rural is attractive now because when there's broadband penetration, people can work from anywhere. Like Kim said, and so you don't have to relocate. In fact, there are people coming in working for big companies that want to relocate to rural to have a better quality of life. Let's leverage that, right? Get better infrastructure, get better ways to message this a uh, great place to live, et cetera. So I think storytelling is one. The, I think the second thing is uh, is that I think we need to get more granular with the data. I have an example in Michigan of where they came to us and said, you know, we want to know how to better support micro-businesses. They kind of had a general sense of where the challenges were, but they didn't know how big the challenge was. So, you know, when we talk about in Lean Six Sigma, when you want to find out uh, what to solve, you got to first know where the problem is and how big the problem is before you can allocate re- to it. And so we did a a study across Wayne County, and we got some very startling data, which was correlating and being corroborated with data across the country at the same time. And we were able to push uh, the Michigan government for this, while in parallel, people are pushing the SBA to do work around building this trusted network uh, for small businesses. So I think that there is a lot of opportunity still in better messaging, in more granular data to actually show where the problem lies county by county or by rural community, by rural community actually pointing, or even in urban. What are the gaps? Getting in front of people that make decisions. Uh, I think uh, both of you or one of you said, there's a ton of money out there right now. We don't want this to go to waste. We don't want to look back five years from now and say, see, we invested in entrepreneurship, there was no outcome, right? We can't let that happen. There's a ton of money coming in. Let's focus the money on where the problem is and go address the problem. Because if we invest in all the right places, The small businesses are very entrepreneurial. They will do their part, right? We've just got to remove the barriers and put uh, the the, the watering holes in the right places so that they can come and get the water. So uh, I think uh, there's a lot to be done in this space. And we're just at the tip of the iceberg. Let's go tell those stories. Let's show the data. Let's get the money into the right hands.
0: We started this webinar acknowledging that our company that used to be Startup Space is now Economic Impact Catalyst. And what I didn't say about that is it was largely because we recognized that, you know, we sort of, David and I, when we first met, it was because David had this idea for a system that would better connect entrepreneurs. And I said, yes, I want that for my community. And I was actually one of the first clients or the first client of Startup Space back then when it was sort of a beta concept. And what happened was that it really started to evolve into something that went way beyond um, it's about connecting entrepreneurs. It was like, oh, this is actually about telling the data story. And that was something as as an entrepreneurship support organization, you know, the, the fundraising cycle and being in that um, constant need for how do I really explain to my community what these small businesses and entrepreneurs are looking to accomplish. And, and David, I'd love to just hear you talk a little bit more about what you see in the marketplace around that need for data and the innovation that needs to occur for us to be able to really capture those stories and talk about the impact of our work as economic developers.
4: Yeah, unfortunately to get good data takes investment, right? It's hard to get good data without investing in actually uh, the, the plumbing lines into the community. And so uh, what I tell uh, the people we work with is that while there is a, a barrier up front to getting the data, you don't need to collect the universe. You just need a sample. You just need a good random sample to be able to understand the impact so uh, i think that there is a lot of work to be done even in around data collection because today we don't have that rigor and we don't have the discipline you know i look at corporate america where i came from around the rigor on data collection and being and using that for transformational projects uh, corporate america invests a lot of money in uh, understanding the problem and i think in economic development we have we you know there's a lot of reporting around impact report time right the surveying even bringing in consultants during impact reporting or fundraising but throughout the year, data analytics is not used for decision making and it's not used for execution. It's used, you know, we're like, well, people showed up or we don't want to measure because we don't want to hurt people that don't show up. Like the too many reasons uh, that are not the real reasons. In fact, when you measure, you might be able to provide more targeted uh, support. So there is a little bit of uh, investment needed, but the ROI is incredible and Jackie, I mean, yeah we have a story with the commons on how data measurement was able to uh, impact uh, you know investment back into the community and all around the country when you can tell the story and you can prove it with numbers or back it with numbers there's always money coming in
0: and and how about you gary what's your closing thought on why this work matters and what's your your hottest recommendation for tools or
5: resources i want to leave with just a quick note and I know David loves spoken word. Um, I think uh, one of the cool, cool metaphors for me is uh, Langston Hughes from way back. And the person is, uh, I am the dark brother, right? And it's called uh, iTunes sing America. I want you to think of this person as a small business though. I am the darker brother. They send me to eat in the kitchen when company comes, but I laugh, eat well, and grow strong. Tomorrow, I'll be at the table when company comes. No one will dare say to me, eat in the kitchen then. Besides, they'll see how beautiful I am and see that I, too, sing America.
0: Wow. Hard to follow. Uh, mic drop, David. Uh, I'll t- turn it over to you. But bring us home with, some, with a closing word, and um, I hope you get our new website right.
4: Yeah. So, in terms of our own work, I couldn't be more excited for the journey ahead. We've done a long, a lot of work to get us here, uh, and I think that we're all just getting started. Uh, there is such an amount, amazing amount of energy with the right focus. Finally, right? Like we now know that the entrepreneur and the small business owners are at the heart of everything we do. And so, I, I I'm so excited for the journey ahead, and I'm going to be drawing from all of your strengths and energies. Uh, as we set out on this. And uh, yeah, so the website is economicimpactcatalyst.com. Go there, case studies, uh, a lot of nice new look and feel. And we look forward to serving uh, ecosystem builders and entrepreneurship-led economic developers uh, in the new year.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast about entrepreneurship-led economic development, hosted by David Ponraj. Special thanks to our guests for joining us. Show notes and cover art by the creative team at EIC, edited and produced by Lauren Bernard. If you'd like to suggest interviewees, new topics, or just want to reach out, please email us at podcast at economicimpactcatalyst.com. All Breaking Down Barriers episodes are available on our website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe for all of the latest updates.